0: This week we're gonna be looking at the question, where is God? And is He distant from us or is He very near to us? And we'll be looking at Exodus chapter 20 for that. And as I was studying for this message, I found that in many of the different surveys out there, Pew Research, uh, Barna, and different things like that that talk about religion in America I saw that one of the fastest um, growing religious groups right now is this group called the Nons. And the Nons are people who don't necessarily ascribe to any specific spirituality. In other words, they're saying, I'm not necessarily Assemblies of God, I'm not necessarily a Baptist, I'm not necessarily a Presbyterian, I'm not necessarily a Lutheran. Matter of fact, I don't even say I'm necessarily a Christian. I'm simply a spiritual person and in that I guess they're right we are spiritual people every one of us is a spirit having a earthly existence right now but they they're people that really don't subscribe to any particular religion and many of these people are people who grew up as Christians and once they got into college and once they left home they kind of burned out on church. They didn't want to go. Two reasons. Either they got hurt in church. You know, something happened where they got into a fight or a rumor started. or some For whatever reason, something got um, really messed up in their lives. Or they got into college and they got kind of taken up by the things of this world and fleshly pursuits. And they fell away from the faith. And you'll find amongst these nons, as they are called, that one of the criticisms they had is that the God that is preached from the pulpit is not the same God that is being lived out in the lives of people inside the church. And others will say if they get particularly, quote unquote, educated that they're saying, you know, the Bible is just a whole bunch of rules. I mean, the rules are antiquated. They, they made sense maybe back then, but they're not in step with our 21st century world. Don't you realize we've evolved beyond that kind of stuff? And they make these kind of arguments all the time. And what they don't understand, though, is that these arguments that they keep bringing up, they're not original to them. They're just a recycle. You know, I've talked about how society kind of cycles through four or five generations and kind of comes back. You know, we start out conservative. We start drifting into like a liberalism when it comes to things of the faith. And then something huge happens and we go right back into conservatism. And so we're on this, the crest of the wave of the liberal thing and kind of we're probably going to need some type of tragedy to knock us back into the God. And... The, one of the roots of these arguments, though, comes from a heart condition of being in love with God, not for being in love with God for Him, but for being in love with God so He will bless you. And it comes from, and that is the wrong mindset. And we see this mindset here in Exodus 20 that this mindset was prevalent in the people as they just that had just. Witness some of the most incredible miracles ever recorded in the Bible. I mean, these people, the Israelites that are before Mount Sinai in Exodus 20 had seen 10 different horrific plagues come upon Egypt, many of which could not be explained by natural phenomenon. They saw the plundering of Egypt. They saw people that had been ruthlessly driving them as slaves suddenly turn over all their wealth to them to get them to leave the country. They saw the escape from Egypt. They saw the the chariots running right after them. They saw their backs up against the Red Sea. I mean, if you want to think about it, God, is, if. If God was a human general, you'd say he's crazy. You never put your back against an ocean and fight a battle. So, I mean, they, they saw this. They thought they were going to die. And then God performs a miracle of parting a sea before them. And not only parting a sea before them, but taking ground that had been saturated in water for so long that there's no possible way they could have crossed it without sinking up to their waists and mud. He made it absolutely dry. So that was an incredible miracle. These people have just witnessed this a few weeks ago. And not only that, in in this current moment, they have a cloud that follows them around. I mean, essentially something that probably looked like a tornado following them around by day that turned into a pillar of fire by night. None of this could be explained by natural phenomenon. And the mountain that they're standing right in front of them is on fire and blazing with the presence of God. So that that is the what they're looking at right here, and that is where they came from. And their reaction to the presence of God is very interesting here. And it is very telling of their heart condition. And that is what makes it so tragic. And that's where we're going to pick it up in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You go speak with us and we will hear, but not let God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near to the thick thick to the dark or thick darkness where God was. And Father God, we just ask Lord that you just help open this scripture to us. That we will be people that seek you, not your hands for your blessing, not your spirit to make us have a good time in you, but people who want to seek after you, your heart in your face people that bless you before we ask for a blessing from you and father we just ask this in your name amen so we look at this scripture and a few questions came to my mind that we're going to be looking into today first question is what keeps us from having a deeper relation with God Second question is, why does he seem sometimes so distant in our lives? And the third question is, what is required to cultivate a deeper, trust-filled relationship with him? So let's first look at one of the heart conditions that blocks us from going deeper with God. And that heart condition is is conviction of sin that doesn't um, have any type of repentance behind it. You know, we really don't like spiritual light, do we? We kind of run from spiritual light. It reminds me of our old house in Kenosha. We had a uh, westward-facing window that was a uh, picture window, pretty big, covered most of the living room. And because it was a western-facing window and just because of the way it was orientated, oftentimes the noonday and and afternoon sun would constantly shine in there and it would be blinding. And our couch was up against a a panelled wall, kind of like that. And so the room just naturally, because of the paneling, was kind of dark. And we always had like a big thick curtain over the top of that window because you couldn't even sit in the living room without being blinded by light and to keep the heat out and things like this. But occasionally, you know, I'd be walking around because we had steam heat, we had um, dust would be just a problem in that house because there wouldn't be a lot of air movement, so dust would just settle anywhere. And you would look and I would comment about it. I'm like, you're getting kind of dusty in here. And everybody's like, I don't see any dust. And then all of a sudden you throw open the shades and you just see, you know, the quarter inch of dust on everything because, you know, with animals and people and everything, dust just builds up, especially until when we still had the carpet in the living room. And it's interesting that you really didn't see all the dust in the air. You didn't see all the dust on the, on the entertainment center and everything until you really put a bright light on it. And it's kind of like that in the spiritual realm. Jesus kind of put it this way. He said, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deed should be exposed. But he who does... The truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. And to understand Israel's fear here, where they're sitting there shaking before Mount Sinai, we have to consider what happened in the previous verses here in Exodus 20. The entire nation of Israel had just heard the summary of the moral law, and that's what the Ten Commandments is. You break up all those 613 laws and separate them out from cultural, ceremonial, and moral laws. The moral laws were summarized in the Ten Commandments. And as they heard these laws being proclaimed, they were just like bullets piercing them to their very core. And it brought conviction onto them. I mean, they were convicted. It was like they were cut down to the heart. But instead of falling on their faces before God in repentance... They went the opposite way, like much in our society, where they said, Moses, okay, we heard the law, we understand, we want you to live this life that is pleasing to God, we want you to sacrifice and serve him, and we'll stand back over here. And you just tell us what God says. We, we don't want to get any closer. We're just going to trust you as our pastor, as our priest. You go forward. You hear from God. We're not really that interested in it. And we're going to be standing all the way back there. I mean, if you tell us to do it, okay, maybe we'll, we'll think about it. Maybe we'll stop doing that, which is contrary to the character and nature of God. Or maybe we'll volunteer once in a while if it's not too inconvenient at church or in our community You know, we kind of want to soothe our conscience and stay on God's good side after all I mean, we want to stay on God's good side, right? Because we want him to bless us I mean, it's all about him blessing us So we want to live in a, in a way that, that pleases him, so he blesses us And maybe, okay, we understand we'll throw a couple bucks in the offering after all, doesn't the Bible say he's going to pay us back if we, and bless us if we give? I mean, we're, it doesn't really matter if it helps build his kingdom. We want him to bless us, so we have to give him something to bless. So, yeah, you know, we'll, 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 we'll give once in a while. I mean, we don't really care about the mission of the church, winning souls, serving our community. We just want God to bless us, so we'll give a couple bucks here and there. And these are the same people that when something falls apart in their life, they ask, Where's God? Why is God so distant from us? Where's God? I mean, how come God let this happen to me? I mean, you don't know how much I'm suffering right now? God, where are you? And that brings us to the second point of why does God seem so distant sometimes? It's because the wrong view of God limits people in their relationship with God. I've used this analogy before, but it bears repeating that too many people look at God like He's the genie in the lamp. You rub Him a certain way and He just will perform. I mean, there are books, books in Christian bookstores written like this saying, pray in a way that makes God answer and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's it's, it's almost a rich young ruler view of God when he walks up to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, how do I get eternal life? You know, it's it's almost like you see him like whip out the checkbook saying, Okay, how much is this gonna cost me? Okay. I got money. I'll give you money, I'll contribute to your ministry. How much is this gonna cost me? Eh, just give me everything. That's what he said. Sell everything. And then follow me. Just totally blew him away. Too many people here live like I did when I was in elementary school. I don't know if you remember. Uh, report cards that you used to get in elementary school you'd get your letter grade and then there'd be like a number one or two or or some type of notation behind it and you'd have to flip the report card over and look at the what the notation said and you know it'd usually say for me C, 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 C and then there would be two notations after every one. Number one underperforming vastly under what he is capable of and two was does just enough to get by. And that is the way that too many of us live our Christian lives now. You see, people don't want a Lord. The concept of a Lord being over them, of a king being over the top of them, is a foreign concept. But they do want the deliverer. They don't want to come under the, the constraints of the moral law, but they want to be healthy and wealthy and wise. They want to be blessed but they don't want a Lord over their lives. There are people who will see the wonders that God did and they'll be content with that. And we see the same attitude in the church today, especially the Church of America. We want to sing, God bless America, but instead of asking God, how may we bless you today? I've I've stopped telling people, God bless you. I say, may you bless God. Because if you start blessing God He's automatically going to start blessing you. Specifically here in the Pentecostal church, the Holy Spirit moves in our church and we want that to happen. We want the Spirit to move. We want people just laying under the power and trembling under the power of God. We want that. I want that as your pastor. But we also have to remember that the Holy Spirit isn't just some some force that just moves among us. He is God. He is God at His most intimate. And that means that He is showing up with all of His divine attributes, chief of which His holiness. So if we have a whole bunch of people dancing and singing when they're in here and walk out there and live like the rest of the world, I have to ask, was the Holy Spirit really moving? Because if the Holy Spirit is slamming into us and we should be changed people. Amen? And when the Holy Spirit's presence is felt among us, if it's really the Holy Spirit, that's God's presence shining a light into every single part of us. The doors we try to stay shut, he is going to burst open. And most of us, if we're really honest with each other, fear being exposed like that. We don't want that to be exposed. If you think about it, if the Holy Spirit really moves and we start honestly repenting before God and before each other, the face that we put on before we come to church vanishes. All of our secrets are laid bare. The false fronts that we put before other people, even in a small town, everybody is known by a certain reputation, that reputation that we spent years building so people will look at us in a certain way, will just crumble. So... To the questions we asked at the beginning of this message. How do we have a deeper relationship with God? Why does he seem for a relationship with him? We talk about conviction without repentance. In case you've forgotten what repentance is, repentance is agreeing with God's opinion about something, particularly sin, and turning from it. That's what repent means, biblically. We've talked about the attitudes that can distance us from God. And if we get our repentance in line with God and our attitudes about Him right, let's talk about the two things that God will always come and run toward in each one of us. Because they bless Him. And that is our trust, having trust in Him and faith in Him. And you say, okay, well, trust and faith, well, how, do we, how do we get that? How do we develop that? How do we run after that and get that? And it sounds like a pastor, you know, as a pastor I would say, well, you know, if you read the Bible and you pray, that is the way you're going to, you know, get closer to God. And that is true, but they can also become religious exercise which are completely devoid of meaning. But what we really need is Bible, prayer and the fire of God. And we get that fire through a de- deliberate and purposeful prayer life. If you think about it, you cannot become intimate with somebody either in friendship or as as a spousal relationship Unless you spend time with them. If you refuse to spend time with them, and that means time where you turn off the phones, you turn off the electronics, this is hard for me, I admit it. You do, you do all these kind of things, and you sit alone and just talk with people. And you sit alone and you just share with people. And you just sometimes just sit in the presence of God and, and just listen. And just be there with Him. There's a story about an evangelist named Smith Wigglesworth who was ministering in Wellington, New Zealand. He was known as a man of mighty prayer. He had It was right around the time of the Pentecostal revival in 1922. And he was ministering in New Zealand. He calls a special prayer meeting with a group of 11 pastors in the area. And they they kind of formed the prayer circle and the, he asked for the pastors to pray. And when they had finished... Smith Wigglesworth rose to seek the Lord and it's reported that the presence of God began to fill the room soon the glory of God became terrible the light was too bright and the heat too intense the other men could not stand it any longer and every one of them had to leave the room and only Smith Wigglesworth remained because he was known as such a man of prayer Another minister heard what had happened and determined at the next gathering, no matter how strong the presence of God became, he would stay till the end. Once again, the scene repeated itself. Wigglesworth began to pray and the holy presence of God filled the room and the glory became unbearable. Everyone left except this one leader. He would not be overcome and driven out by the manifest presence of the Lord. But eventually it was too much. Wigglesworth was caught up in the spirit, radiant with holy fire, and even the determined minister couldn't stand the intensity. And soon he was gone too. Now this is an a story. And oftentimes we read these stories and sometimes they get a little exaggerated and we kind of think, you know, did that really happen? There is a lot of biblical proof for this. You remember the glory cloud that would shift from over to the tent of meeting when Moses would go into his tent would shift from the tabernacle and go there we see it in Jesus when he he went and prayed that the glory of God would fall and Peter and John got to witness it when saw him transfigured I have been blessed to have been in prayer meetings and worship services where the glory of God fell there was one time when I was uh, serving as an associate at Lakeshore it was my first church and the pastor I was serving under at the time was uh, very much into prayer, very much into the, the presence of God. And, and the worship time that had gone really well, I mean, we're, everybody was being blessed. We had words given. I mean, it was just a, an awesome worship time. And, and he got up and, and started preaching about having a wrong attitude in life. And I felt God start to kind of do the, on my spirit. And I'm kind of like, that's not for me. That's not for me. I have a great attitude, God. I have a great attitude. I'm fine. I'm fine. And the knocking started getting a little bit more intense. And then the knocking kind of got replaced by almost like a heavy weight upon me. And I'm kind of fighting it. And the altar call came. And, and I'm fighting it. And I just felt that God wanted me to go to the altar and, and repent and confess about attitudes I had. And... And I just, I was fighting, and, and finally I just I had to run up to the altar. And it was like he was reaching inside of me and, and grabbing that piece of rebellion in me, and I, my flesh was fighting back, and I was getting in a wrestling match with God. And what I learned that day is that God always wins wrestling matches. You can't fight him. He's going to win. One way or another, he will win. Period. How much, how much easier would our lives would be if we would always remember that? And at the end of the struggle, I felt like Elijah being confronted in the, presence, in the cave, being confronted with the presence of God, and I couldn't do anything. I probably looked ridiculous, but I was laying on the altar with my suitcase over the top of my head as I was weeping, tears of repentance. And it was a very cleansing time, and there's been other times in my life that God has had to get me alone with him to, to do similar things. Some would say this sounds awful. Some would say, I don't want anything to do with God coming down with such a weight that he's gonna make me and crush me and do all these kind of things. And I would agree, it, it does sound awful when you hear about somebody speaking about it. But it's the most cleansing thing that can happen to you. I remember once I was, when I was in the military, I went to a uh, school for nuclear biological chemical warfare. And it's down in Alabama and we spent weeks learning how you know different chemical agents work, nuclear stuff, how to make smoke and to, for camouflage and all that kind of stuff and at the end of it you actually get to go into a building that's a very secure building with great filtration and all that and they have live um, nuclear samples and live chemical agents in there, the same ones that would be used in war and one of the guys that we went through the class Uh, with just had this awful attitude i mean he was just always rebelling against the the instructors and everything and he was always mouthing off and and saying you know he didn't want to have his chemical suit on and yeah it was 110 degrees in alabama but it was hot it was worse than turnout gear actually but you know just a bad attitude and we're going now into a, a room with live nerve gas in it and nerve gas is so deadly that if i took a eye dropper full and aerosolized it in this building it would kill everybody in this room I mean that's just how deadly it is and so we're going in there we have all of our chemical gear on and we're going in there and and to do detection and decontamination and all this and this guy's complaining because he had a stuffed up nose that he's his nose kept itching and you have your mask on so you're kind of you're just gonna have to put up with the nose itch and because you can't break the seal in this room because for obvious reasons you're gonna die well he did he said, oh, this is driving me crazy. He pulled his mask off and went like this with his gloved hands. And immediately, the instructors grabbed him. And inside this room, it's called a negative pressure room, which means there's air rushing in from the outside so none of the air can get inside. And there's two chutes on either side of the room. They grabbed him and they threw him down the chute. And at the bottom of the chute is a whole bunch of other guys in chemical gear with cutters, big needles, bleach, and scrub brushes. The first thing they do is take nerve agent antidote and thrust one in each thigh with a big needle. Then they cut your clothes off. Then they take the super tropical bleach and pour it all over you and scrub you to sanitize you. And then they kicked him out. <laughs> so he got bleached white and then they threw him out of the army. But it sound, that sounds like pretty rough treatment, doesn't it? But you know what? It saved his life. And that is how we have to treat the fire of God. We are contaminated as we walk through this world. And we need that same kind of decontamination by spending time in the presence of God, by letting his fire burn away those things that are not pleasing to him. That's what God's presence is meant to do. Where, in the, where the Hebrews in Exodus 20 feared God and shrank back, we who are in Christ should consider what the New Testament says about the Hebrews' experience at Mount Sinai. And you can see this in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12.18 says, You have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, to blackness and darkness and tempest, to the sound of a trumpet and to the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they cannot endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. It was so terrifying, or, and so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. That is the description of Sinai from the Hebrew perspective as they saw it. But this following is the New Testament truth for us. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and to spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling That speaks better things than that of Abel. We see the description of Mount Sinai from the Hebrew perspective. We see the, um, the way that we are to look at it from the New Testament perspective. And then he gives us a charge. And if you don't understand what I mean by charge, it's a verbal or written statement that makes you responsible for living what you are about to say or about to read or a truth that is spoken. Just like Larry gave me a charge when I became a pastor here that I am to live up to, he is now going to give us a charge in the light of of this incredible presence of God that was seen on Mount Sinai. In verse 25 he says, See to it, that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? Whose voice then shook the earth, but now has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates removal of those things that are being shaken as things that are made, that things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, therefore, and get this into your spirits, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Musicians, if you'd return. My friends, God is only as distant as you make him. even during those times in our lives, and you will have times where God feels distance, distant from you, it is only to make you pursue him harder. It is only to help empty you from those things which aren't pleasing to him. Because ultimately, he is not so concerned with our comfort here on this earth as he is concerned with the, the quality of our soul when it reaches the judgment seat of Christ that we may receive a reward. Not just as one escaping as if through flames, but one who receives gifts back from Jesus. One who, who receives um, positions in heaven from Jesus and hears the word, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So Father God, I ask Lord as we conclude today's service, that you would be the refiner's fire, Father, as we enter back into a time of worship. That you would help us to confess that which is not pleasing to you. Because ultimately, Lord, you win every contest. No one can stand before you, so we might as well surrender now. So, Father God, just move in amongst us. Bring conviction of sin, and not only just conviction... Because conviction without repentance just brings shame or, re, or further rebellion. We ask, Lord, that you give us repentance from those things which are not pleasing to you. So as everybody stands and we enter back into this time of worship, just do that now, Lord. And we ask this in your name. Thank you for tuning in to the Whitehall Assembly of God podcast. This is Pastor John Oscar, the Senior Pastor of Whitehall Assembly of God. If these messages have blessed you, I just encourage you to subscribe to these podcasts and you'll be able to hear every single message that comes out of Whitehall Assembly. If you are interested, go on Facebook and like us on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page, Whitehall Assembly, in beautiful Whitehall, Wisconsin. We also have a website that you can visit, whitehallassembly.org, or you can come visit us in person. We are located on the corner of Dewey Street and Sheila Street in Whitehall, Wisconsin. We hope to see you there someday. If these messages have blessed you, I'd just like to encourage you to contribute toward us being able to continue to bring them to you. You can see that on our website, top right corner of the page. If you have any questions, you can contact me at my email, pastorjohnosker at gmail.com. If you don't mind, I would just like to take a moment to pray for you before we go today. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that every single person who listens to these messages will be brought into a deeper relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let them experience the love and forgiveness that Jesus bought for us on Calvary's cross. I ask Father that you just use it to enrich their lives, that you use it to make them good ambassadors of the kingdom of God, and bring them into your presence someday. Let them be fruitful, let them multiply, and let them be used mightily for you in these last days father i commit them to your care now in jesus name amen god richly bless you